Hello, church. It is so great to see you. Let me start with a question. Have you ever had something that your heart hoped for get delayed? Yeah? Let me ask it again. Have you ever had something that your heart really hoped for that got delayed? For example, maybe your heart hoped to have a baby and you've been trying and trying and trying and finally you think you're pregnant, but the test comes back negative again. Or maybe it's that job promotion. You are hoping for this job promotion. One comes up, you apply for it, and the boss comes and says, we've given it to somebody else, maybe next time. Or maybe you're a senior in high school and you had so many dreams of this senior in high school experience and memories and things that you would do. And then out of nowhere comes this global pandemic, right? And your heart hoped for something. And then week after week, they keep delaying going back into school. And it looks like, well, it's going to be delayed and it's going to be missed completely. The book of Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 says this. A, listen to this. A hope that is deferred makes a heart sick. Hope that is deferred makes a heart sick. And probably no one felt this more than a couple in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham and Sarah. Like the first illustration I gave, Abraham and Sarah hoped to have a baby. But it was a struggle for them. It didn't seem like... Sarah was going to be able to have a baby. And the time that we are introduced to them, Abraham is already 75 years old and Sarah is 65 years old. But they still hoped. And I have to tell you that I can't relate to that at all. Roseanne and I had all four of our kids by the time I was 30, right? Uh, And so uh, Abraham and Sarah are really struggling. And then out of nowhere, this new God that they had never met before by the name of Yahweh comes to them and said, you're going to have a baby. And and at first they didn't really want to believe it, but then they began to hope. But Yahweh, this new God, didn't stop there. He said, in addition to that, your family is going to grow really big into a nation. Now that is really, really cool because while I have four kids, after all of these years, I still only have two grandkids. I have more grand dogs than I do grandkids, right? And so I'm hoping that my kids get after it pretty soon here. But God says, hey, hey, uh, it's gonna be a big nation, but it doesn't stop there. It's gonna be out of this nation. There's gonna be one born out of your family that is going to be a blessing to all nations because this one is going to provide the solution to get everyone back into a relationship with me that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Man, hope is just swelling up in the hearts of Abraham and Sarah. The year that they are introduced to God, named Yahweh, is 2091 BC. Wow, they were so excited. But listen to this 24 years go by and still no kid. Abraham is now 99 and Sarah is 89. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. But then, sure enough, in 2066 BC, 25 years later, just as Yahweh told them, the baby arrives. 
They have a baby and their heart is filled with joy. It's filled with joy. His name is Isaac. And Isaac grows up and he marries a gal named Rebecca. And listen to this. It takes them 20 years before they have their first child. Now, fortunately, they had twins. So this thing is really gaining some momentum, right? (laughs) Really gaining some momentum. Wow. It's getting off to a slow start. But now let's fast forward to 400 B.C. 400 B.C. Um, Sure enough, as God promised, Israel has become a great nation. There is lots of people. However, this one that was promised that they were longing for and waiting for, later to be called the Messiah, the Savior, still had not come. 1,691 years has passed. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. And for people like us who pace in front of a microwave, I mean, this is unthinkable, right? I mean, you're looking at me like, no, I don't pace in front of a microwave. Oh, yes, you do. But hey, I'm with you, man. I tap my foot at a Keurig machine waiting for my coffee to come. Come on already. I got places to go, people to see. Come on, come on, come on. So the Old Testament comes to an end. And the last person to speak is a prophet by the name of Malachi. And Malachi the prophet at 400 BC says to the people of Israel, the next prophet who's going to speak is finally going to introduce you to this one you have been waiting for. As a matter of fact, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Not only does the prophet Malachi say this, but another prophet confirmed it also. His name is Isaiah. Check out Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. And I can imagine the children of Israel are saying, might we expect this prophet to come and speak on Monday, maybe by the end of uh, the month, we'd be okay with that. But as it turns out, God goes silent for 400 years. That's older than the birth of America. That's how long this is. Hope Deferred, And during that 400 years, things get really rough for Israel. The Greek empire comes in and defiles their temple. They are sacrificing pigs on their altar. Then the Roman empire takes over from that. In AD 63, they uh, occupy Jerusalem. And now the Jewish people are under Roman occupation. I mean, we are now at a point where it's no longer hope deferred. It is hope lost. Hope lost. But then, in A.D. 26, 2117 years later, it happens. Yeah. The true story of what happens is told in a book called The Gospel of Mark, which we are going to be studying over the next seven weeks, leading all the way up to Easter or Resurrection Sunday. But you don't have to just take in what we're saying. 
uh, we are also inviting you to join a watching group. There's these six episodes of this film on the life of Jesus where overlaid on these films is word for word the Gospel of Mark that invites you with your family, with your friends, online, at the office, wherever, to take in with us this beautiful story on the life of Jesus. And you can still get involved with this because the first episode is to be watched this coming week. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. You can do this on your digital Bible, your analog Bible, or you can go to the Westside app where we not only have the scriptures, but we have some notes for you to take. We're going to go a little deep today. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1 begins this way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We've entitled this series, Cheer Up. And this opening sentence gives us great cause to cheer up. Mark says, it's just the beginning of the good news. And boy, could Israel use some good news. Their hope has been deferred for 2,117 years. And what is going to happen next is exactly what we're told would happen years earlier by the prophet Malachi and Isaiah. Verse 2 reads, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And in the very next verse, we are introduced to that prophet. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Israel went out to meet him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So John the Baptist is the long-awaited prophet. And the fulfillment of the way in which he did it, coming out of the wilderness, saying what he said, is a fulfillment of this ancient prophecy which would give confidence to the people of Israel that the one that John the Baptist is going to introduce to us is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. Now, John the Baptist turns out not to be the kind of, well, prophet they were expecting. He's not like Malachi and Isaiah, all prim and proper. In verse 6, we're given this description of John the Baptist. Okay, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. Women, if you are married, I want you to picture this is your husband. He has nothing else on, no jeans, nothing else, no t-shirt, just covered in camel's hair with a leather belt around it. Are you going with me? It's not a pretty sight. It's not a pretty sight. And on top of that, he ate locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist is not your garden variety type of prophet. Rather, he is a scuffy, eccentric, bohemian guy that is living in the wilderness. He has no credentials. And on top of that, he eats locusts and honey as his staple diet. I hope at least he puts the honey on the locust to sweeten the taste of the bug. John the Baptist is like that urban street preacher. He's just a little bit out there, and you wonder all along whether he has taken his meds. John the Baptist is now going to finally introduce us to the one we have been waiting for. Verse 7, 
Mark records John the Baptist's introduction of Jesus. I picture him picking bug legs out of his teeth and saying, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And as John is saying this to everybody in town, they're all there, guess what? Up walks Jesus into the scene, and he asks John the Baptist to baptize him. And of course, John resists. He has no business baptizing the Son of God. He knows it. No one else knows it. But Jesus insists that it is the right thing to do, and here is how it unfolds. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When Jesus comes out of the water, the Olympic gun sounds, and Jesus starts his ministry on earth. He starts to accomplish what he came here to do in the first place. And he only has three years to get it all done. So I am going to invite you to hold on to your seat because the story is going to move fast. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns. There's going to be a lot of drama and a lot of cliffhangers. Now, after John finishes baptizing Jesus, Mark informs us that the next event, actually the first event after Jesus' baptism, is this, verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, when he, he was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. I don't know about you, but if I've just come out of the water and, be, and, and have been declared the king, the Messiah, the anointed one, I can tell you the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the Jordan River Mall and look for crowns. But Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. What could that possibly mean? Well, I want to answer that question, but before I do, there are two questions I want to answer before. And I need to warn you that all three of these questions, it's likely that none of you are asking. And the worst thing a pastor, a preacher can do is answer questions nobody's asking, right? I mean, it creates for a grand yawner like you wouldn't believe, right? Because you're thinking, man, I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm trying to get through the day. I'm trying to get that girl to like me. I'm trying to avoid the covid you know, and, uh, but I'm going to give you uh, three questions and I'm going to answer them as best as I can. And I'm going to tell you here and now, these are the questions you should be asking. Okay, the first question, if you're taking notes, is what is John's baptism all about? What is John's baptism all about? The text tells us that John's mission was to prepare the way for 
the Lord. So I want you to write down the word preparation. John's baptism was preparing people for what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross by getting people to acknowledge the presence of sin in their life and the need to be forgiven of that sin. Before Jesus does what he's going to do, John is trying to prepare them to acknowledge this. So if you're taking notes, write down the what. Okay, here it goes, the what. John's baptism with water looked forward to Jesus, who by his death would make possible the forgiveness of sins. Rack my brain all week to try to figure out how do I... uh, uh, give you an example of this, and this is what I came up with. It's the best I got. How many of you, like me, have experienced surgery? I mean, I've had quite a few surgeries, gone through a lot of couple, like two people, right? I mean, you know how bad that makes me feel? If you've had a surgery, would you raise your hand? Come, come on, thank you so much. Golly gee whiz, what's up with you people, right? And so, uh, you know, more people online raise their head, and I can't even see them, right, than you. You've had some surgeries. You're a sick person, just like me. And um, here's the deal. When you get a surgery, you have to get prepared for it. And the preparation includes, one, acknowledging that you need surgery. It includes, like, fasting the night before, getting your blood drawn and all that. The preparation isn't the surgery that fixes the problem. The preparation is necessary for the surgery. I've had other kinds of procedures, and the best, I'm going I'm to state it out. I'm not going to go into detail, but this is the best one, okay? I've had, like, three colonoscopies. And if you had a colonoscopy, you know that the, what the preparation is all about, right? It prepares you, but it doesn't fix you, the colonoscopy the next day does. Okay, that's it. I'm just going to go there. But so you know about preparation, right? Preparation. John said, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? So I want to fast forward. Jesus is now three years later, been crucified, risen from the dead, and the church has been started. And we now come upon the story of the Apostle Paul, who is now spreading the good news of Jesus to places where Gentiles live, people like us, non-Jewish people. And he comes to the city of Ephesus, and he runs into 12 guys who have all been baptized by John the Baptist. And Paul clarifies that John's baptism... Acts chapter 19 and verse 5 told the people to believe in the one coming after him. And so in that moment, these 12 men who were baptized by John the Baptist get rebaptized this time in the name of Jesus. And in that moment, their sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In this moment, this baptism did something for them that John's baptism didn't. John's baptism prepared them for this baptism, but John's baptism didn't give them the forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God, but this one did. And in the moment they went down and came up because of the belief in their heart, they have been forgiven once of all of their sins, they have eternal life, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and the Holy Spirit not only empowers them like the Holy Spirit did for the life of Jesus during those three years to live out the will of God but Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit and those who've experienced the baptism of Jesus it is he is there as a seal 
as a deposit guaranteeing that we are redeemed and God will fulfill his promise one day. So whenever the enemy or people around you try to tell you you're worthless and you're not even worthy of God or that you're not going anywhere, the spirit is there to remind you that there is this deposit that, oh, yes, in fact, you are. Amen. Come on. Now, none of us today need to experience John's baptism. You've never heard me say, if you've never been baptized in the baptism of John, come up down after the service today and we'll baptize you in John's baptism. We don't need that today. We're not asked to do that. But we all need to experience the reason behind John's baptism. So I gave you the what. Here is the so what. Write this down. We all need to acknowledge our need for Jesus. We all need to acknowledge our need for for Jesus. If I had to put it in a simple way, I would say, in order for you to be saved, you first have to acknowledge that you're lost. In order to be saved, you have to acknowledge that you're lost. And right now, there are quite a few people who have not been saved because they're just not in a place where they're acknowledging that, in fact, that they are lost. So I'm going to ask you the question, do you see your need for Jesus? Do you see your need for Jesus? And so, well, there is still so much to learn about Jesus as we uncover his story in the Gospel of Mark, which, by the way, doesn't start with the Incarnation. It's the only Gospel that starts right at his baptism. I want to ask you if you have received Jesus' baptism. And if you have It's because you have acknowledged, you have prepared yourself to realize that you need to be forgiven of your sin. And while the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, in fact, is a gift paid for by the blood of Christ, it is a decision that each one of us has to make. And the answer to the question, have you received the baptism of Jesus, is a simple yes or no. Yes or no. If it's yes, it means you have received the baptism of Jesus and you shout out hallelujah, right? Because you know the importance of it. If the answer is no, then I ask you the question, do you even see your need for it? Because if you don't see your need for it based upon your current condition, then there's nothing I can do to convince you. But if you see your need for it, then we're going to invite you to take care of that today. And some people have come prepared to do that. They're going to receive the baptism of Jesus during our worship segment in just a few moments. And if you have not come prepared, but you have never experienced the baptism of Jesus, then we're going to invite you to do it. You say, I haven't come prepared. Well, get prepared because we're going to give you the opportunity to do it. And if you are actually aware of your need, there is no way in heaven that you would delay. No way. Okay, enough preaching. Second question I want to ask you is, why did Jesus get baptized? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Why did Jesus get baptized? If you've been around the Bible for a while, you might say, I thought Jesus never sinned. So why would he need uh, uh, to be baptized by John for the forgiveness of sins? And you would be Correct. As a matter of fact, he came for the express purpose of paying for our sins through his sinless blood. So why did Jesus get baptized? I want you to write down the word inauguration. If you noticed in the story, at the baptism of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy 
Spirit all show up at the same time. It's a rare occurrence, but it's pretty powerful. We have the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, in the water to be baptized. And then we are told that the first person of the Trinity, the Father, opens up the heavens and he declares, Jesus is my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What is he doing? The Father is giving testimony that the one who is about to go under and out of the water by John the Baptist, the prophet, is in fact the one you have been waiting for. The Father is giving his endorsement that this is the one. And then we are told that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, comes upon Jesus like a dove. And this is not a cameo appearance of the Holy Spirit. In John's retelling of the baptism of Jesus, we are told that the Holy Spirit not only came down upon Jesus, but remained with Jesus for the rest of his earthly ministry. As a matter of fact, it is the Spirit who leads Jesus into the wilderness. Why didn't Jesus lead himself into the wilderness? He is going to be led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now, some of you may not have ever realized this, but that when Jesus, as God in the heavens, makes the decision to come down to the earth and wrap himself up in flesh, while he maintained his position and nature as God, he left behind his full power as God. And therefore, he is going to rely on the Spirit to perform all of the miracles. He's going to rely on the Spirit to perform the healings. And Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1 tells us he's even going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead. Maybe you thought he did all that in his own power, but he did not. It was the Spirit who did. And what Jesus is doing is he's placing himself in a position of vulnerability and weakness so that he can identify with our position because don't you feel vulnerable and weak? He put himself in the same exact position to identify with us and then to show us the way to live life in full dependence on the will of the Father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the what, if you're taking notes, write this down, the what of Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism initiated his public ministry with the Father confirming his identity and the Holy Spirit coming upon him to empower his work. Jesus, the true Messiah, is not only going to pay for our sins, but he's going to show us the way, day in and day out, how to live the empowered life that has been made available to us when we receive the forgiveness of sin through the baptism of Jesus. Hallelujah! Right? Uh, this, is the, this is the subject of this new book that I've written and that is just coming out on the shelf. It's titled, His Mighty Strength, right out of Ephesians chapter 1, subtitled, Walk Daily in the Same Power that Raised Jesus from the Dead. Does anybody want access to that power? Come on, does anybody want access to that power? Okay, so April 11th, we're going to start a series, and we're going to teach you from the Scriptures how, as a follower of Jesus, you can have access to that power. I double-dog dare you to show up and find out. Jesus is going to show you the way. Now, what is the so what? What does it mean to you? Once again, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the one we have been waiting 
for. So I ask you again, may the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Have you been waiting for Jesus? Is he the one you've been waiting for? Okay, one more question, the one I told you how to answer at the beginning. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? I want you to write down the word confirmation. Because at first glance, it seems odd that the very first thing that Jesus would do after his baptism is that he would go into the wilderness and be led there by the Spirit. But after a deep dive into the grander, we call it meta-narrative of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it makes complete sense. But in order to get this, I'm going to have to beg for you to lean in on this, okay? I'm going to take you a little bit deeper than I normally do on Sunday, but I need confirmation that you're going to listen to me. I got one? Got some more? Okay, okay, you promise, okay? We're going to go a little bit deeper to answer the question, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45 refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Now, you may remember, even if you're relatively new to the Bible, that um, Genesis chapter 3 introduces us to the first Adam who was tempted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. I mean, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and it's filled with trees that bear fruit. And God said, you can eat of any fruit in the garden to satisfy your longing. Mm, it's great. And that's okay. Then he calls out two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of life bears fruit unto eternal life. But God said, the only tree in this whole garden that you can't eat of is the fruit that comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you will be signaling to me that you are not on board with me and my vision for our life together. And so we know that they cave to the pressure. Now, we don't know what the fruit was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Many people think of it as an apple, right? Uh, we have Adam's apple. You know, that's where that came from. Adam swallowed the apple. Eve took it all the way in, but it got stuck in Adam's throat. That's why we've got this right here. But it's not likely an apple. Many scholars believe it to be um, a pomegranate. But recently, a bunch of women scholars have gotten together, and they have concluded that there is no way. And I'll tell you this, because let us be reminded that it was Eve who ate of the fruit first. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to make any judgment here, but it was, it was Eve who ate first, right? And these women scholars have gotten together, and they have concluded that there is no way that Eve would give up everything in the garden for an apple. And so they have concluded that, in fact, it was chocolate. And all of the women said, Amen, Amen to the <laughs> It was chocolate. When Adam took of that fruit, the Bible says exactly what God said would happen. He introduced death and sin into his life. And at that moment, it guarantees that Adam's body is going to die and his spirit, unless something happens, his spirit will be eternally separated from God. But it gets worse. Check it out for yourself. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 is just one of the many places that tell us that all who are of the offspring of Adam, 
all who are of the offspring of Adam, which, by the way, is every single one of you and me, no matter what the color of your skin, we all go back to Adam, that his decision and consequences are automatically transmitted to us so that when we are born, we are born with death in our veins. And we are born eternally separated from God. And unless something happens, this is our destiny. This is our destiny. And then in AD 26, a guy gets baptized called the last Adam, which means he's only the second guy to ever walk the earth without sin flowing through his veins. Except this guy, Jesus, is not born of the seed of Adam. You saying with me? He's not born of the seed of Adam. If he was, he would have transmitted to him sin and death. The Bible says he is from the seed of the Holy Spirit. He is utterly different. And so when the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, this is a do-over. You following me? This is a do-over of the temptation of the first Adam. And the idea is let's have a do-over and see if we can get it right this time. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Adam, on the other hand, had access to all the fruit that could, he could ever possibly want. Jesus wasn't just tempted once and caved like Adam, but Jesus is tempted three times and he never caves to the temptation. The first Adam caves on the first occasion. The last Adam doesn't cave on any one of the occasions at all. And so consequently, the blood flowing through the veins of Jesus has never been contaminated with sin. So when it's poured out on the cross for us, it is sufficient payment for all of our sins. Are you catching me, church? So what's the what of, of his time in the wilderness? Take notes. Here it is. The what? Jesus's time in the wilderness is a do-over of Adam's temptation in the garden. So what? Okay, write some notes here and be prepared to go Pentecostal, okay? The so what, Jesus offers us the chance, us the chance to have a do-over. Does anybody want a do-over? Does anybody want a do-over? That is what the last Adam gave us an opportunity to experience. And as we continue each week through the story of Jesus, through the gospel of Mark, he's going to be shouting over and over again, you're given the opportunity to have a do-over. He's going to give you a chance to make a decision. Okay? Decision one, number one, stay connected to the first Adam and get death. Or you can make a decision to get connected to the last Adam and get life. So I ask you, you want death or life? You want death or life? You want death or life? That is the opportunity that the last Adam is offering us. It is a chance to change our family tree. We are giving the choice to emancipate ourselves from the first Adam and be adopted into the family of the second Adam. Jesus says, this is what it means to be born again. And when you make this decision uh, and getting baptized, this is exact, in the name of Jesus, this is what's happening. You are going down. The word baptizo means to drown. That's why at Westside we don't do sprinkling. Uh-uh. 
gone all the way down, baby, all the way down. It is symbolizing drowning and going to death in your association with the first Adam, and you're raised to life in association forever with the last Adam. That's what it means to be born again. And when we make this decision, as when we were born into the offspring of Adam, we inherited his sin and his death. When we come out of the water, the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to us so that we are made ready for eternal life in the kingdom of God. Will someone shout hallelujah for me? So I ask you the question, have you made that decision? Yes or no? No decision keeps you associated with the first Adam, and no decision is in fact a decision. Can you imagine being there on the day AD 26, when Jesus is introduced to the world. For all the Jewish people there, it had been 2,117 years of hope deferred. But in reality, that deferral has been much longer than that. The Bible tells us that there was a meeting between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before Adam ever set his foot on the earth. They had a meeting anticipating that we would cave to the temptation of the servant. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, volunteered that at just the right time, he would enter into our world and take on our flesh, identify with us, and that he would make a way possible for us. If you don't believe me, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Peter writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world. There it is. But revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, Holy Spirit, and glorified him, and here it is, so that your faith and hope, excuse me, your faith and hope are in God. This expresses the extreme love of God for you and the extent he will go to get you and I back. You say, man, I am not worthy of love. I've got people in this world who don't think I'm very lovely. I'm not even sure I think myself as very lovely. But I'm telling you, that's not how God sees you. The extreme love that the son said even before Adam made the mistake, I got plan B. And plan B is going to work. The proverb I read at the very beginning, Proverbs 13, 12, I didn't read it all to you. Let me finish it now and we'll be done. Here goes. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Here is the good news that Mark is talking about. Here is the reason for us to cheer up. Church, our hope is no longer deferred. Our longing has been fulfilled in Christ. Our longing to live a life on this earth full of meaning and purpose has been fulfilled in Christ. Our longing to overcome the fear and the sting of death 
and to rise again to eternal life has been fulfilled in Christ. Has been fulfilled in Christ. And it's interesting that the author says that a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Could it be that the author is reminiscing back to the tree of life that Adam and Eve ignored? A fruit that if partaken of would lead to eternal life? A tree whose fruit has been kept from humanity for a very long time and then at just the right time, those of us who decide to believe and acknowledge that Jesus is the one we have been longing for, we have access to that tree once again. And when we choose to partake, it not only fills the stomach, but my longing My deepest longings for eternal life have been fulfilled. Church, our longing is fulfilled in Jesus. And all of the church said, amen. We're going to enter into a time of worship right now. And as we do, there are some people who said today's the day. And they're going to experience the baptism of Jesus. And you know what that means now. They're going to disassociate themselves with the first Adam. And they're going to come out of the water once and for all. Associated with the last Adam. Amen. Here's the deal. If you have never done that. You can do that today. You said, I'm not prepared. I'm kind of a modern-day John the Baptist. I prepared you. Why would you not do it? I double, double, dog dare you. As we worship, please respond to him as the Spirit leads. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you now for this time together in uh, worship, a time to celebrate those who have acknowledged your Son as their Lord and Savior. Father, We say hallelujah in Jesus' name, amen.